Hey everyone, this is Brian with Church in the Loop. So glad you could join me. And today we're going to be looking at a beautiful passage in Mark chapter 16. We are wrapping up Mark and this has been a fun study. Today we're going to see four ways in which this passage reminds us that God is in control. And I love this passage because we're going to be seeing some poetry of God in this passage that is really special. And you're going to see how it applies to your life today, especially during these crazy times where it just seems like we are totally, no one's in control of anything. And with this pandemic, it only makes us all feel more shaky and more um, out of control than ever before with our circumstances, with our jobs, with everything. In fact, um, this week um, I got noticed that you know our jobs are being cut again. Uh, we're going through another slowdown on on my end at work, and you know that's kind of scary because it you know you start thinking in terms of wow you know um, what if I get cut and what if how am I going to pay my bills and all these things start going through your mind, and it's nice to know, it's reassuring to know, it's confidence building to know that we worship a God who is truly in control. And so I want to direct your eyes to this passage today, and I really want you to see four ways that God is in control. And if he's in control in the most dire of circumstances that we're going to see in this passage, you can trust that he's in control of you and your circumstances and what's going on around you. So let's pray and let's have some fun in Mark chapter 16, verses 1 through 8. Lord, we thank you so much for you being a God who is in control. Um, you are not far off, removed. You're not this clockmaker that just made the world and stepped aside. Sometimes we might even be tempted to think that because things don't go the way we thought they were or we thought we were in control and they spin out of control. But God, you are in control in every circumstance and you're working a plan. You have a plan. You have a purpose. No, none of us are random people on a random planet that's just in some random solar system in a random galaxy floating in some random universe. God, you have a plan for our lives. And so I pray that as we look at this passage today, that we would be reminded of that, but more than reminded, we would be more rooted in what that means for each of us. More rooted to the sense that our, our roots go deeper, like a tree that can weather any storm because the roots are deep. We can weather the droughts. We can weather the, the cold winter winds, the storms of spring that come, the hot summer days. Whatever kind of weather comes our way in life, we will be a people rooted in you. And so I pray that our roots will go deeper now. In Jesus' name, amen. So Mark chapter 16. This is a really neat passage. And I really want to spend a few moments in it today with you because there are four things that are easy to miss. And there are things there that um, when you, when you kind of zoom out and you look at Mark as a whole, you see these four things more clearly. Um, it's kind of like Google Maps. You know, sometimes you, you get on Google Maps because you're trying to find where a certain place is or a store you're trying to find or whatever it is, and you, you have to zoom in. And, 
And that's helpful because then you can see, okay, I see, oh, okay, I see where this shopping mall is or this store. And you can figure it out. But sometimes, though, like when for me on maps, I, I zoom in and I see all the intricacies of, oh, okay, there's the entrance and all that. But it's also helpful to zoom out. And I need, for my own mind, I need like a big picture. Because then that gives me an idea of like what way I'm actually going. Am I going north, south, east, west? And just kind of in proximity to where I'm at, like what's the general direction and the lay of the land. And so in this passage, we're going to look at like the lay of the land as we, we first we're going to zoom in and then we're going to zoom out. Okay, so let's read the passage and zoom in. And then we're going to zoom out to see these four beautiful things. So Mark chapter 16, Jesus has been crucified, um, buried. It seems like the story's over. It seems like everything is just falling apart and there's no more um, Christian, Christian faith in Jesus. It's like it's, it's dead with its creator, Jesus. It's, it's done. And that's kind of the feeling of the disciples. They're wondering, is the game over? But as we see, it's not. So let's look at this passage together. So it says, when the Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of James and Salome, brought spices so they might go and anoint him. And very early on the first day of the week, when the sun had risen, they went to the tomb. They had been saying to one another, who will roll away the stone for us from the entrance to the tomb? When they looked up, they saw that the stone, which was very large, had already been rolled back. As they entered the tomb, they saw a young man dressed in a white robe sitting on the right side, and they were alarmed. But he said to them, Do not be alarmed. That word alarmed means they were literally scared out of themselves. Um, so it's, it's more than alarmed. Like, oh, no, this is like you walking into your kitchen and a mouse runs across the kitchen floor across your feet. And you feel it on your toes as it runs across the kitchen floor. That's the kind of, you would probably jump up and scream. That's kind of the alarm they have here. He says, do not be alarmed. You are looking for Jesus of Nazareth who was crucified. He has been raised. He is not here. Look, there is the place they laid him. But go tell his disciples and Peter that he is going ahead of you to Galilee. There you will see him just as he told you. Now, let's just pause there for a moment. So, these ladies are going to anoint the body of Jesus, uh, kind of a customary thing to do, um, because, you know, uh, he's, they, they're thinking he's decomposing, and we, we know he has to decompose, but we don't want him to stink, and so it's just another way to honor the dead and that kind of thing. So, they're going to anoint his body with these spices, and they put it in the wraps around him. So, it just kind of kind of helps fumigate the place, to be honest, um, so that it just doesn't have that dead smell. Well, they get there, and well, on their way, they're thinking, who's going to roll away the stone? But you know what I like? I like in this story, There's well, there's lots of things to like, but I really like how they didn't have a plan, but they kept going. In other words, as they're walking, they're talking about, what are we going to do when we get there? I'm not sure. Five minutes later, oh, yeah, what are we going to do? How... We know there's this big stone in the way. It's early. Who's going to roll it away? I don't know, but let's just keep walking. And I like that because they kept going forward in faith. 
And I feel like that's a good picture for faith. I feel like that's a good picture for following Jesus in the Gospel of Mark. You don't have it all figured out. You don't always have to have a plan. But what you do need to do is keep putting one foot in front of the other and trusting God for the plan. They obviously didn't have it all figured out. They really didn't know how once they got there, that how they were going to open that tomb. They're not even counting on the disciples to help them. Why? Because those guys, they have all been scaredy cats and ran away. So they're like, I don't know, but let's just go there and we'll figure it out. And I love, love, love that because faith is that. Faith is not saying, well, I'm only going to do it if I have a plan. No, faith in the Lord is saying, I know, he, I know we need to go in this direction. This is what we need to do. This is what we're led to do. But we don't have a plan, but we're still going to trust for God for the answers when we need them. And that's often how God works. God often works in our lives that way, where He gives you a direction. He gives you a purpose. He gives you a sense of, I want you to go do this, a call even. And you don't have a plan, but you do it anyway. You trust, and you step forward in faith. Now, I know how that feels. Um, When Beth and I and the boys moved here in 2010, to Chicago, we honestly didn't really have much of a plan. Um, I was still looking for a job, and so was she. And we literally, but we felt God saying, go. And we found an apartment on Craigslist, and we prayed about it, had a peace that this is it. And we said, okay, Lord, we're going to sign this lease. Um, we're going to trust you to give us employment. We're looking but we don't have all that figured out yet. But we're moving now because you, we feel like you're telling us to move forward now. And we did. That was a leap of faith. And it, I'm telling you from, from a personal standpoint, it wasn't easy. Um, because I, I'm the type of guy that likes a plan. I'm just like anybody else. Um, I like to know, you know where I'm headed and what I'm going to do when I get there. And this was really a situation in my life where God's like, look, just go. I will show you what to do when you get there, but just go. And we did. And he's been faithful the whole way. He has been faithful the whole way. I can tell you story after story after story of how faithful God has been. So I want to encourage you guys as you follow the Lord, don't fall into this man-made rut of saying, well, I got to have it all figured out before I can do it. No. Sometimes faith doesn't always see what's ahead. But that's what faith is about, right? I mean, when you think about it, if you can see what's ahead, is that really faith or is that a plan? That's more of a plan than it is faith. Now, you may have faith in the plan, but it's still more of a plan than it is faith. Faith is saying, I don't have much of a plan, but I got a lot of faith and I know God's leading me this way. So I'm going to do it, and I'm going to trust, and I'm going to pray, <laughs> and I'm going to see what happens. But that's the kind of faith Abraham had when God said, go to a land I will show you. He didn't have it all mapped out. <clears throat> he didn't have it all planned out. He just said, go. And so Abraham's like, okay. And so that's where we've got to be people of faith. It's great to make plans. Human nature is to make a plan. Human nature is to, to figure things out first. But don't fall into that rut where that defines the parameters of your faith or the size of your faith. Let your faith 
run forward in freedom and try to follow it. Okay? That's what I encourage you guys to do. All right. So that's what these ladies were doing. And what's really amazing is when you look at this passage again, this adds so much validity to the truthfulness of the scriptures. Why? Because were these ladies even disciples? They were not part of the 12 disciples. I mean, they probably knew the disciples, I'm sure, yes. But they were not one of the 12. And it's not even Mary, the mother of Jesus, in this story. It's, a different, it's two different Marys. You got Mary Magdalene and this other Mary. And we really don't know much about them. And so they're kind of fringe. They're on the fringe, and yet they're the ones in this story saying, hey, here's what faith looks like. Stumbling forward, but moving forward. I love that. That is so cool. And again, if you were trying to invent a story about this amazing guy named Jesus that wasn't true, and you wanted to proclaim this story where everybody would want to believe it, you certainly wouldn't have these two fringe women stumbling forward without a plan. That doesn't bode well. That doesn't sell. That doesn't market your movement very well. Because it looks like they don't know what they're doing. And they really don't. But what they do know is they have faith in God. And so it's just, to me, it affirms the truth of these scriptures. Because, again, this is kind of scandalous. This is like the bad news bearers. I mean, this this is like... Do we, do we even want to tell this? This is, this is kind of embarrassing to the movement. And yet, here it is. So I think that's pretty cool. I think that's really cool. Okay, there's a lot here. Um, really, honestly, I could go for about two hours today. Um, I might do a part two next week. Uh, maybe we should do a part two. So I want to talk about these four things because there's five other things I want you to see. <laughs> but we'll, well, maybe next, maybe next week we can do that. Um, but this week, I want us to see these four things that I think are really pretty beautiful to see. Okay, number one, we have this desire to go by these ladies to go and anoint Jesus. Okay, so they're wanting to go and anoint Jesus. Now, what's really cool is if you go to Mark chapter 14 and look at verses 1 through 9, you find a story where Jesus goes to Simon, the house of Simon the leper, and he's eating dinner. And the dinner is interrupted by this lady that's there that comes in, and she anoints Jesus. It's a beautiful story. Um, She gets criticism because she pours forth this anointing on Jesus of this sweet perfume, this this like alabaster type perfume, and it's basically like super expensive. It's like a year's worth of wages or more, and she's pouring it all on, on the Lord. And... Some, of you, some even the disciples and the people there were kind of like scoffing, going, man, she's wasting, look at all that money, could have been, that could have been given to the poor, and she's just pouring it out on Jesus, kind of a waste. But here's what I want you to see. So you have a frame. You have that initial story there of Jesus being anointed, and it's kind of like a statement of, this guy's a king. Because if you go back to the Old Testament and you look at stories in the Old Testament when, when the Jewish people anointed their kings, they anointed them with oil. And so this is a statement of faith, I think, by this lady in Mark chapter 14, that Jesus is a king, that Jesus is the one who is the true Messiah. So she's literally, she may not even fully know it, but she's being led by the Holy Spirit to anoint him. And I think that's a statement of 
kingship. Okay, so you see that. Now you see the frame. The frame is we come back to that. So Jesus has died, and they're going to anoint his body in the tomb. Now, obviously, he wasn't there because he's risen now. They didn't know that. They they were figuring that out. They the angel told them basically. But what I want you to see is this frame of anointing. Now, why is that important for you and me? Number one, it reminds us that we serve a risen king who is truly king of all, even king over death. If he's king over death, that means he's definitely king over life. And then number two, Jesus wants to anoint you. Jesus has set you and I apart as followers of him. And as people set apart... That means we have an anointing from God, an anointing that sets us apart from who we used to be to who we're becoming in Christ. And it sets us apart from the world. When you anointed somebody in Bible times, they were set apart like a king. They're not just a person anymore. They're the king. They're on a whole different level. Well, Jesus wants to share that anointing with you and me. In Christ, when we put our faith in Jesus, the anointing that he has becomes ours. Now that, there's a lot of books you could write just on that. And I, I hate to just gloss over it so quickly, and I, I'm sorry for that, because that is worth a lot of more discussion than me just saying it and moving on. But let it just sink in with you that you have been set apart, that there's a frame in the story of anointing, and Jesus is trying to send the message to his followers that I have anointed you. I have set you apart to follow me. Okay? And so just kind of let that sink in. I, I like what it says in 1 Peter 2.9. In 1 Peter 2.9 it says, But you are a chosen, set-apart people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous, wonderful light. So this passage, number one, reminds us of the anointing that we are to have in Christ. Okay, Number two, there's another <clears throat> frame in this passage that I think is special. You have God's messenger telling these ladies announcing what God has done. Now, when you go back to Mark chapter 1, verses 2 through 8, you see God's messenger with John the Baptist and the scriptures saying, you know, prepare the way of the Lord. He's coming. Get ready. And John the Baptist is baptizing people, and then Jesus is baptized. So you have this messenger proclamation of what God will do. And then now you have this angel giving a message proclamation what God has done. And what that means is, <clears throat> what I want you to see in that frame, <clears throat> excuse me, what I want you to see in that frame is, there's a story. We have a story to tell. You have a story to tell. And it's really like a coin with two sides. The first story we have to tell is the Bible story. The Bible story is, God did not give up on this world. He sent Jesus to redeem us from our sins for all who will believe. That is a story worth telling. It's a story of hope and redemption for people everywhere, of any race, 
of any background, of any situation, we all need that story. We all need that ultimate second chance with God that Jesus gives us. But it's also, you turn that coin over, it reminds us that we have a story to tell of our own personal experience of that huge story. How has God touched your life? How has God stepped into who you are and brought about meaning and fulfillment and healing in your inner brokenness? Because that's a story that only you can tell, just as unique as your own fingerprint. And that's where your faith is your faith. It's owned by you. It's a gift from God to you, but it's something that you wear. So don't be afraid to tell your story of what God has done and is doing in your life. I want to encourage you in that. Because sometimes I think we discount our story. We say, well, it's not that glorious. It's not that, you know, flamboyant. It's not that it doesn't get much attention. It's not like their story. Their story is really amazing to listen to. That's not true. Because Jesus still died for you. And he died as part of his story for you, but also to give you a new story. A new story worth living. And that, my friend, is always worth telling. So I want to encourage you to spend a few moments to rediscover that story that God is writing in your life between you and Him. And maybe you've been so busy that you've been disconnected from that story. I know, hey, I'm not judging you. I struggle with that too. I, get, I go to work. I'm at work at 6. This Friday, I was at work at 6. I left it a little after 5. <laughs> it was a long day. It was busy the whole day. Dealing with people, emails, situations, you name it. I understand what it's like to be so busy that I get wrapped up in work and the duties and responsibilities of my job and the stresses that I can forget the story that God is writing in my life. I understand how it is to forget that. And oftentimes, I have to kind of still myself and say, hey, slow down, Brian. Don't get disconnected from that. Because when you are, you're not really living. You know, I, this last week, um, I had to quarantine for about a week because uh, I thought I had COVID. I had symptoms that seemed like it. I lost my taste, my smell. I had a headache for five days. I had a fever for a few days. You know, and it just seemed like, wow, this is COVID. So I got a COVID test, turned out to be negative. And so on day eight, I was able to, of the whole experience, I went back to work because I had that negative test. <clears throat> and, and by day eight, I was fine. I was symptom-free and feeling great. And I'm thankful for that. But I told Beth, I said, for that whole COVID quarantine time, instead of me getting up early like I normally do, I usually get up at four I'm at work by six, you know, and I have a busy morning, busy day, come home, it's busy, you know, busy, 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 busy. And I literally like unplugged <laughs> from all of that. Now, the first half of that quarantine, I really felt sick. So it wasn't like a joyful unplugging. <laughs> I really just wanted to stare at the wall and just like watch the paint peel. So, I mean, I just felt like, ugh. But there were a few days where at the end of it, that quarantine, where I, I, I was like, wow, I've got this time. And I can read, I can pray, I can just 
kind of chill and and not be so busy. And it felt nice because I felt like I was able to reconnect. I got some good sleep and I was just able to reconnect a lot with who I am and my faith in the Lord. And I just needed that slowdown. So I just want to encourage you guys, you know, maybe we all need to program more of a slowdown in our lives like that. I know for me, that's hard. I'm a type A type guy. I just want to run, 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 run. So this is where that was good for me. So the first thing we see in this story is we're set apart. The second thing we see is we've got a story to tell what God has done through Jesus for all of people, but also what he's doing through Jesus in your life, okay? The third thing that I want you to see is notice there's a, something interesting here. It talks about Peter. Now, Peter is mentioned, and it's like, go and tell his disciples and Peter. I like that for a reason, because we know earlier, a few pages earlier, Jesus had predicted Peter's denial, his falling away, his his uh, the, the his his sin of being ashamed of who Jesus was, and Peter denied Jesus three times, and then he felt so horrible about it. And here it says, "Go tell his disciples," and Peter. Now that word "and" in the Greek can be translated "even," so it could say, "Go tell his disciples," even Peter. Now there's a frame because in the Gospel of Mark, the very first disciple that is mentioned by name is Peter. Peter in Mark chapter 1 verse 16. So let me turn there and let's look at that together. So in Mark chapter 1 verse 16 it says as Jesus passed along the sea of Galilee he saw Simon that's Peter and his brother Andrew casting a net into the sea for they were fishermen. So you have this frame of Peter. What is that teaching us? And Peter fell away. It's teaching us that Jesus doesn't let go of you. He's like, go tell your disciples, disciples, even Peter, even you, even me. In other words, Jesus seeks us out. Even when we get lost Jesus seeks us out, and he never stops seeking you. He's always seeking you. He's always stalking you. <laughs> he is, because he loves you. He wants to protect you. You know, we, we recently, about a month ago, we adopted a cat named Flint, who is awesome. He's six months old. He's full of energy. He's pretty big already. He doesn't look like that tiny little kitten anymore. Um, actually, when we got him, he was pretty big already, but... Uh, he's just full of energy and he's running all over the house. Well, I've had to kind of, you know, when you get a baby in the house, you have to like child-proof the house. I've kind of had to flint-proof the house. Um, like, for instance, I had these Christmas lights up and, you know, around my window that just, they're just, they weren't colorful. They were just like the, just the, the white lights that I just thought were kind of nice decorative type lights for the year round and the evening turn them on. Well, he starts to chew the cord, and I don't want him to chew that, and I don't want him to chew the light because, you know, that would not be good for him. So I took those down, put them away, <laughs> you know. And so we're, we're continually trying to, like, uh-oh, got to put that away. Can't have that. When Beth is on the treadmill, she has to shut her bedroom door so he can't be in there because he just wants to walk on the treadmill with her, and then we don't want, you know, some kind of 
goofy action with that taking place. So we have to protect Flint from Flint. Um, we're the adults, and we have to protect him because he doesn't know what's going to hurt him. And he's still kind of exploring and chewing on things just to get a feel for what is that. He needs to feel it in his mouth, and he's, he's, just, he's just a goofy boy. But my point is, we're like that with the Lord. And the Lord is constantly chasing us around, trying to, uh-oh, i got to protect Brian on this. Let, let, me, let me put some buffer here. Let me do this. Oh, there he goes again. Got to get him away from that. And so God seeks you out. Why? Not because he's trying to control you. Not because he's trying to ruin your fun or anything. He's trying to protect you. He doesn't want to see you get hurt. He wants you to live life to the fullest. And he cares about you. I mean, if I care about this cat as much as I do, and believe me, I do, God's care for me is infinitely more than that. So we see in this where he says, even Peter, that's Jesus saying through that story, even you. I'm after even you. There is no one that I give up on, even you, okay? All right. And then the next thing I want you to see is it says, tell the disciples, even Peter, that he is going ahead of you to... Galilee. Now, what's so interesting about that? Well, if you were starting a movement that was the fulfillment of all the Jewish laws and regulations of everything Jewish, but it was for the whole world, and it's all through Jesus, wouldn't you want that movement to be centered where the spiritual and religious epicenter for the Jewish people was? That'd be Jerusalem, right? I mean, after all, that's where all the learning was, the scrolls, the best knowledge of the Bible, all of that was in Jerusalem. The worship, the temple was there. That's where you went to worship, all those things. But yet, Jesus says, no, nah, we're going to bypass Jerusalem. We're not even going to go there right now. We are going to go to Galilee. And that's where I'm going to be meeting with my disciples post-resurrection. That's kind of strange because it doesn't make sense for the fulfillment of a Jewish religion to not go to Jerusalem unless there's a message. Well, what do we know about Galilee? Galilee was a mixed place, Jews and Gentiles. But also, all the trade routes of the world back then went through Galilee. If you were bringing spices from the Silk Road into the Middle East and you wanted to go down into Africa and trade, you went through Galilee. There were roads that you would go through and they would go to Galilee. If you wanted to take those spices the other way and go into Europe, again, you go through Galilee. If you were in Africa and wanted to trade with Europe by land, you go through Galilee. If you're in Europe and you want to trade with Africa by land, you go through Galilee. In other words, Galilee was the intersection of the world, the crossroads. And Jesus is saying, that's where I'm going to meet my disciples. That's where... I'm planting this awesome new message of resurrection in the crossroads of the world. Why? Because I want it to go worldwide. Why? Because it's for every person on this planet for all time, always. No one is exempt. Everyone needs this message of hope. Don't get stuck in Jerusalem. No, not all the trade routes went through there. Go to Galilee. That's where I want you to proclaim this message because I am for all people everywhere. And that means, my friend, he is for you and he's seeking you. And he wants to set you apart with a story worth telling.
It's a story of who he is, of his undying, unconditional love that the grave cannot contain, and of how he wants to break you out of your grave in life and give you true life, a life you never thought you could live, an amazing life free of guilt and shame from your past. And we've all got that because we've all made mistakes or been victims of others. And Jesus wants to set you free from all that that hinders you to follow after him. Now, this is a beautiful passage. What are you going to do with it? Well, here's the way I look at it. You live in an apartment or a home, and it typically has four walls, right? <laughs> Every home has basically is an, an elaboration of basically four walls. These are four walls of your spiritual home that Jesus wants you to live in. He wants you to live in the reality that you've been set apart, that you belong to him. He wants you to live in the reality that he's constantly seeking you out, even when maybe you're running from him. He's still seeking you because he loves you. He wants you to live in the reality that you have a story to tell, that your story isn't about your strength and your amazing abilities in life. <laughs> no. It's about how God will not let you go and send His Son to die for your sins so that your story is just beginning and it goes on into forever with Him. And then finally, God has a story for you of being sent out. Go to the Galilees. Go to the intersections of the world. You are sent on a mission. You have a mission. You're sent. Go. Go to those crossroads of life and be a voice for the Lord as best you can, as humbly as you can, as creatively as you can. Pray to point others to Jesus. Some people do that very vocally. Some do it with art. Some do it with just very subtle humility. But as we pray, the Lord will use us, and I guarantee you He will, in a way that's unique to you. I love this home that God's given us to live in. It's a beautiful place to live. It can be your home, and it lasts forever. And the roof won't leak, and the walls won't crumble, and it doesn't need to be remodeled. It's a home where true life and love is found. My friend, will you make this your spiritual home? Lord, I pray right now in the name of Jesus for every listener that you would bless them and help them. And I pray that you would help them to find their home in you. And I pray that they would know what it's like to be set apart by you, to belong to you. I pray they would know what it's like to have a story to tell. I pray that, Lord, they would know what it's like to be sought after by you. And I pray, Lord, that they would know what it's like to be sent by you to help rescue others. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.